Hi, everybody. Welcome to the July 8th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. We've been out for a couple of weeks, so we're happy to be back. Allow me to introduce our panel tonight. As always, we have Patty Calhoun from Westward. Craig Silverman joins us, uh, attorney and radio talk show host at KNUS. We have political analyst Eric Sonderman and political activist Justine Sandoval. Thank you all for being here. Let's get right to what everyone's talking about. The nation is reeling from recent violence surrounding police and black men. Shooting deaths by police in Minnesota and Louisiana sparked protests throughout the country. At a protest in Dallas on Thursday, a sniper aiming at police shot 12, killing five, injuring seven others, including one civilian. According to the Dallas Police Department, the suspect said he was upset at the recent shootings and that he wanted to kill police. Uh, Patty, we're going to start with you, uh, an unenviable task to start the conversation. I don't even know where we start from here. There are so many different angles between what happened in Minnesota and Louisiana that inspired the protest and then everything that blew up in Dallas last night. Uh, take your pick of where you want to start. Well, let's start in Dallas because this is the incredible tragedy that if it happened in Dallas, can happen anywhere. One crazed single gunman acting alone, according to what we're hearing now at noon on Friday, who wanted to kill not just policemen, but white policemen, he allegedly said when they were t talking with him and trying to get him to surrender, that this is the single worst loss of life for law enforcement authorities since 9-11. It's just incredible that it happened. And we were talking before the show that, by all accounts, Dallas's police department worked so closely with civilians, was really doing groundbreaking research, posting all this raw data that the community wanted about where stops were made, where incidents occurred, was really being as proactive as it possibly could be with the community. But clearly that doesn't matter to a crazed lone gunman. So it's incredibly tragic. We're also seeing the effects of new social media. We saw Facebook Live broadcasts uh, on that as it was happening. And then, of course, in Minnesota, where you had the girlfriend of Castile who was killed, she had it on Facebook Live as her boyfriend was killed. So there's so many issues that are coming out of this. Obviously, police are going to be on their guard. They're going to be watching what they do. But how do you watch for people like the Dallas shooter. I mean, how do you catch someone like that mm -hmm. in advance? Mm -hmm. Craig, uh, this this week, as terrible as it was, is not some isolated set of incidents. This is, if if we go back, and gosh, it's, I think, just in recent memory, just a couple of years, there's been more and more incidents in a variety of cities that have sparked protests, that have caused other violence. We can rattle off other cities. Um, so this, this is the latest and, and by far the greatest we've seen in amount of violence towards um, police officers. Is this going to be a watermark for the country? Is this going to be something where we can do something as a country together to address the situation? First of all, I'm so sad about what happened. But I do think something extraordinary happened this week that I haven't witnessed much in my life. And I was a prosecutor for 16 years and I used to go to the scenes of homicides and see uh, corpses, people who were dead, but I didn't watch them die. I didn't see the actual killing. I wasn't a witness. But now, this week, I've been a witness to one homicide after another. The last one, 
I can remember watching was when Jack Ruby killed Lee Harvey Oswald in Dallas. I don't think it was broadcast live, as I recall, when Kennedy got shot. But, of course, we saw those images. But this week, look at what we've seen out of uh, Falcon Heights, Minnesota. We watched Philando Castile die, and he apparently did nothing wrong, just a taillight. Are you kidding me? And this cop overreacts for what reason? Maybe racism. I don't know. And then it was bad in Baton Rouge, too, with Alton uh, uh, Sterling. You watch the man get shot right there on social media on your little smartphone. And then last night I'm watching the Kelly pile, and they're doing, well, their protests. It was like block four protests, uh, Black Lives Matter in New York and Dallas. Then everybody in Dallas started running. The cameraman wheeled, and oh, my gosh, you saw at least three officers down, and they cut away. And with modern technology, I could go back, and I realized this is terrible. Mm -hmm. So... Just seeing these things and the fame that comes, you know, people want to be famous in the worst way. And this is one of the worst ways you can be famous. Um, and when you mentioned that it could happen anywhere, that's true. What if it happened in Denver? I'm sure that mm -hmm. uh, if you catch the person, if they blow up a police station or kill five officers, there would be a hue and a cry for a capital punishment, even in liberal Denver. But we'll get to the election. Uh, it's not clear that we have death penalty anymore. Right. In Denver, Eric, I've seen a, a variety of conversations on on social media, but one of the ones that resonated with me were, were people talking about. I think it was actually State Senator Michael Johnson talking about um, this is must have been what the '60s felt like, and then people respond like, "Wait a second, '68 was even worse." But it's starting to that, that conversation with folks that maybe not have experienced the uh, all the ver variety of tragedies that happened in 1968, but we're starting to think that way as a country that it, it's it's the the hopelessness, the waiting just for the next thing, not really a, necessarily a solution. Uh, what are some of the things that you're taking away from the events that we saw this week? I mean, it's obviously sobering to the max. Uh, words sometimes, even though all of us around the table get, you know, are here for our words, words sometimes are inadequate. Uh, I've been impressed. I think to your point about 68, yes, there's an unraveling. I keep thinking of the title of the book. Uh, it was by an African writer. Uh, not African-American, but African, I believe it won a Pulitzer Prize, things fall apart. It feels like things are falling apart here, and our political system is certainly not up to the challenge, and we'll get to that, but not up to the challenge uh, of responding. I'm impressed to an extent that on social media now people are not running to their corners quite as much as it is normally the instinct and taking sides one way or the other. What happened in Louisiana, what happened in Minnesota were tragedies. And those of us who it's been an evolutionary process of moving away from the police and the notion that the cop always gets the benefit of the doubt and is right 99% of the time, uh, it's been a gradual evolution away from it. But I think, you know, as a white American male here, as Michael Johnston posted on his Facebook, you have to acknowledge that race does have something to do with it, and you play the rule of substitution. Well, if you substitute it, all the factual circumstances are the same. It's a taillight violation, all this other trivia, but it's a young white preppy uh, driver instead of the driver it was. Would events have unfolded the same way? And it is hard to believe they would. Uh, and, you know, that's been my own evolution to get to that point. Uh, and then you go to Dallas and you know, blue lives matter just as much as black lives matter. 
Uh, and the, the magnitude of that tragedy, as Patty referenced, the worst for law enforcement since 9-11, uh, leaves you speechless. Hopefully there's a healing. Hopefully there's a coming together. You ask if this is going to be a watermark. And I guess I'm just downcast and cynical enough to think, no, you know, we'll get, you know, there'll be a massive outpouring of grief, and then there'll be the usual political speech making, uh, and then we'll wait for the next such incident, and hopefully it's a ways down the road. Justine, it feels, uh, this is, I guess, my, my naive optimism coming out, that if there's going to be a solution, or at least a step in the right direction, it's going to come from the local level. It's not going to be it's a, some sort of national um, uh, one person solving the problem or one law being passed and that's all fine. It's local groups having conversations. Uh, do you share that thought, and what do you think how Denver could do that? Yeah, I definitely agree that change will come from the local level because the situation here is between the community and law enforcement. And it's been a strained relationship for many years. You can go back to 68. We were having, you know, these issues with police brutality then and with communities. I think that it's going to get worse definitely before it gets better. And we're seeing a lot of these situations. And really what I think needs to happen more than anything is we need to come back to some humanity and start seeing people and seeing these issues and really working through um, how we come up with solutions. You know, we need to improve our police force. So I think a lot of Americans feel like we're being, the police force is being run like a, like a military, a militaristic police force. Like, is that how we want, you know, to be patrolled in our communities? No. We want to have a dialogue, I think, between the communities and the police. What happened in Dallas, um, you know, I just, never in my life have I thought two wrongs make a right. And the solution here isn't being anti-cop. You know, it's either you're, you're anti-black or you're anti-cop. You know, you're, you, it can't be like that. We have to find some middle ground. And I think that we can do that. Unfortunately, right now, I've been, I've personally been shocked by what is going on. And I am personally fearful um, considering the state of things. But we need to have some really open conversations. We need to have some really proactive solutions. And I think the big problem, too, is guns have become the solution to things in this country, whether a gun is the solution to a guy with a taillight out or the solution to anger from this police brutality. Guns are, are an issue, and we need to talk about how we're going to come up with a solution to keep all Americans safe, whether they be police, whether they be a guy driving home from work. On June 28th, Daryl Glenn and Beth McCann scored what somewhat surprising victories in their respective primary races. Glenn defeated four opponents, two of which spent over a million dollars in the primary. Meanwhile, McCann defeated Kenneth Boyd and Michael Kerrigan, who were both considered favorites in that race. Uh, Craig, uh, let's start with Daryl Glenn. He's uh, underfunded. Uh, facing Michael Bennett. He uh, has no interest in working across the aisle, at least so far, and the RNC has already said that they're not going to be spending a lot of money for his race. If he wanted an underdog story, he certainly has one. Uh, what do you think about his chances? Well, he's also, let's face it, undersized. He'll talk about that. He's five foot four. As somebody close to his size, I will say he's normal no, size. The <laughs> thing is, he's comfortable in his own skin, which mm -hmm. happens to be African American. He's a little bit of an unstoppable force of nature. I've gotten to know him pretty well. Been on my show three times. I introduced him at the conservative summit last Saturday night. He's a native son of Colorado. Went to the Air Force Academy, one of our most respected institutions. I like the fact that he went on to law school. He's run a small business. And believe it or not, in a law firm, you have to pay your staff. You have to pay taxes. 
These are things that Michael Bennett really hasn't done. Michael Bennett ran Denver Public Schools, and he could give Michael Bennett some problems. Daryl Glenn was also a champion powerlifter. I think he could really help Donald Trump. I can just see the picture of him lifting, deadlifting Donald Trump and, and uh, maybe get a kick out of it. That's one hell of a lift, Trump could use Glenn. <laughs> Trump could use Glenn, and Glenn could use Trump if they can work together. And they say a lot of the same things about borders. And I think support of the police is going to be a big issue. Uh, if we can, move on to Beth McCann. It's a broad sure. topic. Yeah. But I've known Beth since I walked into the Denver DA's office. She was a, a chief deputy on the second floor. You know, she's one of my superiors. Her getting the job, and she's this close to it, is like, you know, Captain Ahab finally harpooning Moby Dick. It's unbelievable how long she's wanted the job, and now finally, she not only won, she won big. And who is her co-star? My friend Rhonda Fields. Rhonda Fields did an advertisement for her that was extremely effective, and it beat the support that Michael Kerrigan had for Michael Hancock, Wellington Webb, and of course his children supported him. That ad was cute, but I don't think it was effective in hindsight. There is Helen Morgan in the way. She's mm -hmm. trying to pull a Craig and run as an independent. She does have a couple of advantages, though. She's still in the office, and there is no incumbent, but it's hard to believe that anybody but a Democrat will win in Denver. Eric, uh, the primaries, by definition, always affect the general election, but specifically here, when you have a Senate race, a statewide race, and you have Daryl Glenn coming out of it, uh, it sounds to me it's going to affect the general election broader than just the Senate race. What do you think? I'll take exception. I mean, Craig said some things I agree with, but when you refer to Daryl Glenn as an unstoppable force, he's going to be stopped here. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's unstoppable, and I don't think he's that much of a force. I don't uh, dismiss his honor, but I don't think what this state or this, well, I don't think what the country needs or what Colorado wants is another ardent, passionate, take no prisoners, refuse to work across the aisle kind of conservative. Michael Bennett has to be one of the luckiest politicians. We were talking before the show taped around, I mean, in 2010, a very tough year for Democrats that he narrowly survived. He drew Ken Buck, who dissembled. He's since recovered a nice political career, but dissembled in that race instead of Jane Norton, who would have won, in my mind, that race rather easily. Here in 2016, which looks to be a better year that Bennett would probably survive against any challenger, but to draw Daryl Glenn, uh, Colorado, in my mind these days, at least for 2016, is probably not a purple state. I do not think we are going to be the national target either at the presidential level or the U.S. Senate level that we are used to being for the past number of election cycles. Uh, and I think Michael, ben will, Michael Bennett will win this race handily quickly on the DA's race. I don't regard this, per your question, Dominic, as a huge upset. I expected Beth McCann to win, mainly because the biggest constituency in Denver Democratic politics is women. It is not lost on me. Look who has represented Denver in Congress for the last half century. Pat Schroeder, Diana DeGette. Women run the Denver Democratic Party. Yes, there are other important constituencies, but they pale in comparison. I will be interested to see how the race unfolds in, in, in the fall. I think Helen Morgan, from all accounts, I do not know her, is a very credible candidate, a very accomplished prosecutor. Can that independent appeal, the notion of independent justice as opposed to partisan justice, can it get enough traction in an overwhelmingly Democratic city? 
Beth McCann has all the advantages. Justine, it looks like in the DA's race we have um, in Beth McCann somebody who's at least trying to run a little bit on the outside. She's already said that she is against the death penalty, uh, not within the current office. And you have Helen Morgan, who is within the current office. Do you think it's going to come down to uh, a referendum on what Denverites feel about Mitch Morrissey? Um, I mean, it could. Personally, when Beth won, I was personally excited because she, if she elected, she'll be Denver's first female DA. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure, like, why it was such a surprise that Beth came out ahead because I think that Beth is definitely um, well-known in the community, and the community elected her. I remember back in the 90s, um, Beth from the Denver Safe City program, where she was working with youth proactively to avoid people from getting into the legal system in the first place. And I think when it comes to the primaries in Denver, you have the old-school Democrats out there voting, and they know Beth, and they've worked with Beth, and they're going to make sure, and they made sure she got elected to the nominee this time. And I think um, she'll be a good bridge between the community and between the DA's office because there's definitely been issues, you know, in the past, and she'll be a good bridge between them and the community. Patty, we uh, I'll stop calling it an upset. I guess which outcome between the uh, Republican primary and the Democratic DA primary uh, surprised you more? I don't think it was a surprise that Beth McCann won or that Daryl Glenn won. What was a surprise was the numbers. Mm -hmm. That Beth McCann got over 50%, that was surprising. Because you know what? Denver can tell the difference. You don't just vote by gender. You vote for qualifications. You vote for a variety of reasons, maybe because you're influenced by the money that was spent on ads. Certainly Michael Kerrigan had plenty of money. But he also has a good reputation as a lawyer, as does Kenneth Boyd. So that she got more than 50% of the vote was surprising. And as we know, we now will definitely have a female DA. Depending, we are, I'm not sure who it'll be, but I'm glad there's going to be a competitive race. So we'll really be able to hear from Beth McCann. And people didn't pay a lot of attention to the DA's race about what they were really talking about. I think we will now. The fact that Daryl Glenn, we were talking before that somebody in the high 20s might be able to take it, that he got in the high 30s was interesting, that he really got a big vote. Uh, I don't think he's going to get, maybe that's how much he's going to get in the next election because he is still very conservative socially and in Colorado, I don't think that's going to play. Former U.S. Senator Bill Armstrong lost his battle of cancer this week, dying at the age of 79. Armstrong was considered by many as the godfather of the Colorado Republican Party and still held significant sway as the president of Colorado Christian University. Eric, is there anyone, I mean, we've, uh, I, I like John Caldera's uh, euphemism about the Republican bench as a folding chair, um, but when it comes to even not just running as, as candidates, as nominees, um, is there somebody there in the McCall Republican Party to pick up that leadership torch, that person who could have the meeting that Bill Armstrong could have had the last, gosh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years? Uh, is, is there someone who could pick up that torch? One could only wish, and maybe we'd have, have some different Republican candidates to pick from these days. Bill Armstrong, during his day in office as a, first of all, state legislator, then a U.S. congressperson and a U.S. senator, he was a political powerhouse. This is now 40 years ago or thereabouts, and I think we sometimes forget the magnitude of that powerhouse. I flash back to the 1978 election. Dick Lamb was running for re-election after one term as governor. Uh, Bill Armstrong was the Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate. They both won, both Lamb as a Democrat, Armstrong as a Republican, mm-hmm. won those elections 
by 60-40 margins. It was a different Colorado. It was a Colorado that wanted to split its ticket, where the independent voter was, was the king or the queen. Uh, and you don't see those days anymore. The number of ticket-splitting voters is down in the low single digits. People are much more rigidly one direction or the other. Bill Armstrong was not somebody I knew well, but he always struck me as having political traits that are too rare these days. He was somebody of character and conviction. He believed what he believed with incredible passion, but he also understood that in politics you don't get 100% of what you believe, and he understood the need to reach across the aisle and compromise. Back to Daryl Glenn, perhaps could take a lesson there. And uh, lastly, he was a person of civility. I kept reading on social media stories, mostly from Democrats, of interactions with him, and they would disagree on issues, but he was always warm, he was gregarious, he listened to people. There was a civility that has also been way too lacking over recent years. Justine, Eric offers the, the, bear, the, the perfect segue because I felt the same way. Bill Armstrong was known for his civility, his passion for his own beliefs, but his civility, especially people across the aisle. Is that a rarity we're ever going to see again? You know, it feels like that, and you hear more and more of that from people in Congress, that there used to be a time where you knew each other, you had disagreements on the floor and you had disagreements, but you knew each other and you respected each other uh, for what you were trying to do for the country. I hope that that's not, you know, the case, but it seems like just looking at the news, we're becoming more and more divisive, and people are getting more and more along party lines and, you know, not willing to compromise. I mean, love or hate uh, Bill Armstrong's policies, he was well-respected, um, and he was well-respected not only in Colorado but in the nation uh, for being somebody who could reach across the aisle. And I think that the conservati conservatives have definitely changed in Colorado from, you know, uh, Bill Armstrong's days to now, and I really hope that we can find a common ground and we can vote and elect officials who are going to be able to come up with pragmatic solutions that aren't just, you know, they're not stuck to staunch issues and they're able to move forward. Patty, what's Armstrong's legacy going to be in Colorado? Uh, nostalgia, apparently. You know, it's interesting <laughs> because he was a businessman. He was a businessman. Craig was just talking about Daryl Glenn in the media, so he understood the media. He would deal with reporters. I disagreed with almost every one of his positions, but he was always civil. He would talk to reporters. He would lay out his positions in a very uh, clear manner, and he would try to work across the aisle. So uh, he created an amazing thing at Colorado Christian University. He will be remembered as someone who really was pushing his beliefs, but also pushing for Colorado. Craig, you spoke at the Western Conservative Summit. That was the brainchild of Bill Armstrong. What do you think his legacy will be? Well, that's part of it. And what a creation that was. And how many interesting, diverse speakers he had on. Some, uh, to me, courageous. Herod Builders was invited. Uh, I thought that was interesting about five years ago. Uh, a lot of controversial but interesting people. And some liberals, too. Uh, but I am old enough to remember Bill Armstrong. And I think... Contrary to what you guys are saying, he was known as a hard right winger. I mean, he was about as conciliatory as Ron, Ron Reagan, okay? But the other thing he had, uh, and, you know, maybe Ronald Reagan was conciliatory. He drank with Tip O'Neill, but he was pretty loyal to Reagan. Like Daryl Glenn, he owned El Paso County because Bill Armstrong had a base of support there. There are lots of votes down there, and that's why I think Daryl Glenn did so well in that primary those people vote. And he was an old radio guy, and uh, he was nice to the media, and he was a committed Christian. 
And that's nice because if he's right about all that, he's in heaven and good for him. Well, it is time for a favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. If you'd like to share your Disgrace of the Week or say something nice on air, tweet us or post to our Facebook page. But as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, let's return to the Colorado Conservative Summit, the Western Conservative Summit. Yes, they've had interesting speakers. The two that were not interesting were the ones they changed their schedule for this week. Sarah Palin, incoherent, and Donald Trump, not much more. Colorado may be getting very, very, we're going to win so much we're going to be sick of it, to paraphrase him, but wow, I got sick of that speech in a hurry. (laughs) Craig. I thought Palin was okay, but to Donald, very disappointing. I said it to Dominic, who was good enough to come on my radio show, and I'll say it again. When you all discussed at the roundtable the Orlando massacre of 49 people at a gay dance club, there was no mention of Islam or jihad, and I was disappointed. I thought somebody should have brought that up because Sharia and Islam and jihad represent a severe and dire threat to the gay community. Eric. You mean a disgrace beyond the fact we don't have air conditioning in the studio it, that, right that now? That could be your main one. That was kind of an accepted one today. <laughs> I'll identify with both Patty's and Craig's. They were well said. Let me add on to that. This is, I want to be very clear. This is not a disgrace, but it is a disappointment. I'm referring to Stan Garnett. We were talking about the district attorney's race down here. Stan Garnett is a district attorney of Boulder. He's a good guy. He is, by all standards, an accomplished district attorney. But he is now pushing Boulder County to extend from 12 years to 16 years to four terms the term limits for DAs. No one is irreplaceable. If the governor can suffice with eight years, if state legislators and county commissioners and the state attorney general can suffice with eight years, I think district attorneys can suffice with 12 years. Denver benefits this year from having an open DA's race. Boulder can benefit for four years from now from having an open DA's race as well. Justine. Uh, Disgrace of the week. There was quite the list to go Mm -hmm. through. Um, And I hate to disgrace the mayor again, but Mayor Hancock um, for reports of the use of uh, donations to the homeless being used to sweep their belongings um, a few months ago. I mean, the plan was already a bad plan. Uh, in the first place, and then to find out that they're not using those donations to be uh, more proactive with actual solutions that help the homeless is pretty disgraceful in my book. Say something nice about somebody rather quickly. We're under a minute. Good opportunity to bring the community together. Tomorrow is the Black Arts Festival, 30th year. Craig. Colorado Inside Out is the greatest, despite my criticism. The time travel show is amazing, and this panel and what you guys all do and let me occasionally be a part of It stood the test of time. It's a great thing. Thank you, Craig. Two quick names. Elie Vassell, I mean, really a conscience of the world, the the, the voice of never forget. On a local level, the way this community has rallied behind Albus Brooks, City Councilman Albus Brooks, with that very tough cancer diagnosis, and the the community outpouring of support has been impressive, and we wish him so well. Uh, My Say Something Nice this week is actually just a plea for people to be kinder and more thoughtful and open-minded as we navigate through the social ills and violence in this country right now. Well said. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and for a CIO postgame segment on Twitter and Facebook. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.